All right, there we go. <laughs> I'm sorry if there's music playing in the background. I'm afraid I'm going to break out in song. and It would be really, really awkward, all right? Yeah, right. Uh, there's a reason why my wife sings and I don't, okay? So uh, uh, as, as Faith said a moment ago, we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, and we preached through most of Matthew, and we skipped over a little se- uh, section, Matthew chapters 15 through 19. And so we're going to pick up, uh, we picked up there last Sunday, and today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16. I want to ask you to do something uh, for me for just here in just a second. Uh, when we, our, our kids were, were little, actually sometimes we still do this, we'll do this, uh, even now that our kids are older, but we'd ask our kids if you could go on vacation anywhere you wanted, and you could take anybody you wanted with you, where would you go, and what would you do? And uh, years and years ago, Faithy was probably about, I don't know, like three or four at the time, and her best buddy uh, was Nathan Klassen. And uh, they just loved playing together and being together and stuff like that. But we asked Faith, you know, if you could go anywhere you wanted for vacation and you could take anybody you wanted with you, where would you go? What would you do? And and Faith said that uh, she wanted to go to McDonald's and she wanted to take Nathan. That's a pretty good vacation. I'll take her on vacation anytime she wants to go. That's a vacation I can afford. Uh, I want to change the script for a moment here, okay? Uh, You can say a vacation if that's what you want, but I want you to imagine for a moment with me, okay? I want you to use a little bit of imagination, and uh, I want to imagine that you win a huge lottery, okay? It is massive. It is it is not just millions, it is billions, okay? In fact, let's just make this really crazy. Let's, really, let's make this crazy. Jeff Bezos, the guy who founded uh, Amazon, is the wealthiest man in the world. According to CBS uh, News, uh, a few months ago, they said he was worth $131 billion. You're going to win $140 billion. You're going to be richer than Jeff Bezos, Okay? So besides gloating uh, over Jeff Bezos, uh, you, you can do anything you want to. I want you to turn to the people around you. If you were to win a huge lottery, two questions. What's the first thing you would do? Secondly, how would it change your life? Okay? So take a moment. Talk with the people around you. If you won a huge lottery, how would it change your life? Number one. And then number two, what's the first thing you would do with the money?
All right, I almost hate to interrupt you guys. Some of you look like you're having way too much fun with this, okay? Uh, some of you are looking like you're having a lot of fun, which makes me wonder if you've been kind of thinking about this and ruminating on this for a while. You've, you've been making plans for winning the lottery. So I want to hear from you. Just This is a little bit of fun, a little bit of fun. I want to hear from you, from some of you, how do you think either something that someone shared that kind of stuck out for you or something that you were thinking, uh, I want to hear from you. How would winning a huge lottery change your life? And then number two, what's one of the first things you'd do with it? So just from a couple of you. Jump. You'd want to tie. Fantastic. Fantastic. $14 billion. Jim, I'm going to be at your house, man. I'm going to be at your house right after, all right? Okay, somebody else. What's, what's one of the first things you would do? How would it change your life? A new church, all right. Rudy, I'm going to be at your house, bro. Going to be at your house. All right, uh, what else? What, what, how would it change your life? Uh, what's one of the first things you'd do with it? All right, fantastic. Okay, so helping the mentally ill and homeless people. Fantastic, fantastic. What else? Buy a plane, go anywhere, anywhere you want. All right? Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, there's a really nice place you can get catfish in Palestine, Arkansas, Tessa. Yeah. See the world. See the world. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's, I would love to do that. Somebody else. Pay off your house. Yeah, me too, me too, me too. Do a little work, a little extra work too. A little, uh, little faith? The, the first two. All right, two things. First of all, I thought she was going to say, I'd go to McDonald's and take Nathan. Okay? <laughs> but secondly, secondly, I was, I was looking at some stuff recently. The area, the expense where there's been the greatest amount of inflation than any other area, more than medical, more than medical, the greatest uh, impact that inflation has had on our, on our nation over the last 25 years is college education. Uh, but, yeah, it could get you through the first two years, uh, Little Faith. That sounds great. Somebody else, what would you do? How would it change your life? Kathy. I love that idea. I love that idea. I, I really, I, I love that idea. What, what if we as a church said we want to do that? We want to invest in a neighborhood, and we wanted to, to invest in restoring an area. Uh, and what if a lot of churches in our community did the exact same kind of thing? What, what kind of impact could that have, not just on people's living conditions, but what would it say to people about God's love for people? You, the best way to show people that God loves them is showing them that, that you love them. So that, I love that. I love that. Uh, okay, let's change the script of this, okay? We, let's change the script. I want you to pretend for a moment that uh, you have a dream tonight, and in your dream, an angel appears to you in your dream. Okay? An angel appears to you in your dream, and this angel uh, appears to you in your dream, and he comes to you and he says, 
he says, hey, Steve, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And you're like, okay, all right, I'm listening, you got my attention. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. First, the good news. The good news is you are going to win the lottery tomorrow, and it's worth $140 billion. And, and, and Steve is excited about it. He's like, yeah, we're going to help Kathy's neighborhood. We're going to donate money to help with, with the homeless and, and with people who are struggling with mental illness. We're going we're gonna to get a new building for the church. We're going to do a lot of really cool things. Okay? We're going to do a lot of really, really cool things, and, and, and we're going to go visit the world. I'm going to take the whole church with me. All right? So, uh, so it, you know, Steve's, like, really excited. About, I, good news, good news. And he looks at the angel, and he says, well, well what's the bad news? Uh, the angel says, well, uh, yeah, tomorrow you're going to win the lottery, but on Tuesday we're going to have an economic collapse and it'll be your money will not be worth the money. it won't be worth the paper it's printed on. What value, what value would there be in winning $140 billion tomorrow if you knew that on Tuesday it was absolutely worthless? <laughs> what value, what value, what value would it be? What value would it be if you won $140 billion tomorrow and you found out on Tuesday it was absolutely worthless? Now, folks, I want you to take this a little bit more seriously. I want to kind of set the joking aside a little bit because I want you to look at and listen to the Word of God. Okay? Because what God's Word does is a lot of times God's Word doesn't say to us what we want it to say. I'll, I'll be real honest with you. It doesn't always say to us what we want it to say. Yeah, I, you know, I struggle with preaching because a lot of times there are messages in the Bible I just, I, I don't always want to preach. So what value would there be in winning the lottery tomorrow if there's an economic collapse and the money is worthless for the day after? Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21. You got your Bible? I'll ask you to open up to it. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, pause, sorry. Immediately before this text, Jesus is in conversation with his disciples. He's in, 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 in the verses, in the chapters immediately before this, Jesus has been in conflict with the religious leaders. He's been in conflict with the religious leaders, and Jesus asks his disciples this question. He says, he says, who do people say that I am? By the way, that's the most important question you have to answer. The most important question you will ever have to answer in your life is, who is Jesus? You get it right, you win the lotto. You get it wrong, you lose everything. And so Jesus asked his disciples this really important question, who do people say that I am? And so they answer and they say, well, uh, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Back from the dead. Some people say you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter, on behalf of the disciples, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He just hit the jackpot. He just won the lotto. 
He, 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 he just won the lotto. He, he got it right. He knew who Jesus was, and we know that because of what Jesus says. Because Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out on your own. But my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. See, Peter got it right. He was able to answer the most important question that you'll ever have to answer. Who is Jesus? And then Jesus begins to talk to his disciples, and he says this. Uh, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem, suffer, something we always love, suffering, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and that uh, he must be killed. And on the third day raised. Peter took Jesus aside. Peter was, he was a sensitive guy. He didn't want to humiliate Jesus in front of the other disciples, but Jesus obviously got it wrong. Jesus obviously got it wrong. Because he gets it wrong all the time, doesn't he? He needs somebody to pull him aside and explain to him, I'm sorry, but your teaching is too narrow for today's world. Your way of thinking is off-center. You're not mainstream enough, Jesus. Uh, Your message is too radical. So being the sensitive guy Peter was, because he was very sensitive, pulls Jesus aside, not to humiliate him in front of the other disciples. And he says to Jesus, he, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You ever been rebuked? Jesus was rebuked by Peter. Never! Never! Lord, this shall... Never happened to you. Pull it together, Jesus. You're trying to lead a movement. We're trying to support you. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Get it together. You hear this? And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. Merely human concerns. And Jesus said to his disciples, and and he turns and he's been speaking to Peter, and I believe every one of the other disciples are, they're focused in. Yeah, it's to the side. But have you ever watched a side conversation at Starbucks that's getting really, really heated? And people become oblivious to everybody else around them, or maybe in a restaurant. I believe every one of the disciples, they are focused in. Are you focused in? This is crucial, critical. This is life-changing, possibly. So the disciples are watching this exchange from the rebuke of Jesus by Peter to the rebuke of Peter by Jesus. 
then Jesus directs his conversation to all the disciples. And he says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, do these guys want to be his disciples? Yeah, they had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their fishing businesses and, you know, uh, Levi or Matthew had, had left his business as a tax collector. Yeah, they left everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Do you? Do you want to be my disciple? Because whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Folks, one of the things that we're seeing and hearing a lot is what's called the prosperity gospel movement. And part of what the prosperity gospel movement is getting wrong is they're kind of saying that you can have Jesus without denying yourself. But Jesus says something a little bit different here. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross. Uh, this is pre-crucifixion. This is before Jesus is crucified. Pre-crucifixion. This is when, you know, for us, the cross is a sentimental symbol that we wear around our necks or we display in our homes. But for the ancient Jew, the cross was something that was disgusting. It was a symbol of a cruelty. It was a symbol of tyranny. See what, you know, it, it was everything, everything, everything that Peter wanted to get rid of and that the disciples wanted to get rid of. They wanted to have nothing to do with the cross. They wanted Jesus. They just wanted Jesus without the cross. And Jesus says, do you want to be my disciple? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. And the cross was something you didn't take up. The cross was something that was imposed on you against your will. Nobody went out and just picked up a cross. No. For the ancient Jew, it was, a, it was you were any man who was hung on a tree was cursed. Jesus says this really radical, totally out of sync with his generation, and just way too narrow, way too narrow. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, win $140 billion? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. I've struggled with this. I really have. I mean, you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, I, I will admit to people 
that I don't want to preach this Sunday. And sometimes I don't want to preach because I really struggle with the Word of God. By the way, if you never struggle with the Word of God, it might be that you're not taking it seriously. But sometimes I don't want to preach because I just sometimes the, the message feels so heavy, and I just I don't like heavy stuff. Now, I I don't like watching heavy TV shows or heavy movies. Uh, I I I want to watch a movie where I don't know Bruce Willis kills all the bad guys. That's okay. I can watch that. That's all right. But I don't want to watch a movie about two people in love where one of them in the end dies. I don't, I don't like to watch that because to me it feels too much like real life. I don't like that. And, and, and sometimes I, I don't, there are certain messages and certain texts I don't like to preach because it just feels so heavy. And the other thing is sometimes I don't like preaching texts like this because, because I'm, afraid, I'm afraid of my own heart. I'm afraid of my own heart. I'm afraid of either trying to soften the message so it's not too um, offensive to someone in the church. I do. I struggle with that. It's my own personal insecurity. I'm, I'm an approval junkie. So sometimes I struggle and I don't want to preach a text because I don't want to make someone unhappy. I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I struggle with that. But the other thing I struggle with is, is I don't want to be a bully. I don't want to take like like this. I don't want to take it and try to bully people into following Jesus because you're scared to death that Jesus is coming again. By the way, Jesus is coming again. Okay? He's coming again. That's good news if you're following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, it's really, really bad. See, the disciples, they, they weren't all good and they weren't all bad. They were a lot like you. And they were a lot like me. They weren't all good. They didn't always get everything right. You ever get everything right? I don't think so. If you think you do, let me talk to your husband, your wife, one of your kids. Then we'll talk with you. We'll help you understand. No, we, we, we don't always get it right. We're not all good and we're not all bad either. You know, I mean, when I look back and I think about myself as a husband, uh, I've disappointed my wife more than a few times. And I'm not just talking about like ancient history a long time ago. I'm talking about yesterday. I, I, I haven't always been a good husband. I haven't always been a good father. But you know what? I've also done some things right. I know I have. Uh, when... My 23-year-old daughter sits up with me late at night and shares with me about something that happened that was really special for her. I know I didn't do everything wrong as a dad. Or when my son calls me and he's going through something really, really hard, a 24-year-old young man, and, and he needs someone to speak into his life, and he calls me, I know I haven't done everything bad. I know I've done some good things. And in and and the same way as a pastor, I've really failed miserably in some ways. But I've also done some things right. And, and that's pretty much true of all of us. And see, what the disciples, the disciples, it's not like they were bad guys and they got it all wrong, because they didn't. 
I mean, they understood. They understood and they received the person of Jesus. They didn't try to change who Jesus was to suit their culture. They knew. They knew he is the Christ. They knew he's the son of the living God. They embraced the person of Jesus. But they didn't embrace the mission of Jesus. They didn't embrace the mission. They they, they had a shadow mission. They had their own mission. By the way, does that ever happen for you and me? You ever have your own mission? You ever have a mission? Jesus, I want you to bless my mission. This is part of where the prosperity gospel gets it wrong. See, we have a mission for Jesus, and it's we want to be really, really wealthy. Or we want all these other things. It's not like we don't want Jesus. It's just that we want Jesus and these things. In, in this case, what they wanted, what they wanted wasn't bad. I mean, Rome was evil. Rome was, was, was incredibly evil, wicked. Very, very, exceedingly wicked, evil, cruel. Oh. Anybody stood between them and power? The lust, the lust for power is what drove Rome. Anything, anybody that got in the way was crushed. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about someone who opposed Rome. I'm just talking about someone who accidentally stepped in the way. Or they didn't even step in the way. It was just between them and the enemy. You were destroyed, wiped out, man, woman, child. Rome was cruel. And what Peter wanted and what the disciples wanted is they wanted the Messiah to conquer. They didn't want the Messiah to suffer, suffer. But Jesus, if you die, if you suffer, you die. The cruelty continues. What honor and glory is there in God if, if the cruelty continues? See, the problem of cruelty isn't out there. It's not this evil empire Rome. It's not Washington, D.C. It's not Sacramento. You can despise anybody you want to for their politics. You can despise anybody you want to for for their cruelty. But the real problem with cruelty is it reigns in the human heart. Not just out there, but in here. See, what Jesus came to do away with was not just the cruelty of Rome, but the cruelty that reigns in the heart of every human being who is a rebel against God. Well, they understood the person and embraced the person. They just didn't understand the mission. And so what Jesus does is, is he, says to, he says to Peter, he says this, he says, he says, get behind me, Satan. And now, anybody, you read that and you're kind of like, geez, Jesus, that kind of sounds harsh. That kind of sounds unchristian to call somebody Satan, right? I mean, if I called one of you Satan this morning, would you be offended? I'm never going back to that church again. He called me Satan. Satan. 
I was kidding. But what Jesus says is he says, get behind me, Satan. Why, why, why on earth would Jesus call Peter Satan? It's a really interesting question. I'm glad you asked. See, when you look at, see, remember, what are we studying? The book of Matthew. And because you're reading through and you're studying the book of Matthew, you remember Matthew 4. And you know it's a part of one big message. It's not just stories thrown together. It has a unifying theme. And all the way back in Matthew chapter 4, what is Satan doing? What is Satan doing in Matthew chapter 4? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is having his quiet time. He's having his quiet time. He's having his devotions. He's doing the 40 days of prayer, and he's reading through his Bible and praying and not eating. Oh, that sounds so miserable. For 40 days in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him, and he tempts Jesus. Not one time, not two times, three times. And the essence of the temptations of Peter, or excuse me, the essence of the temptations of Satan for Jesus is abandon, abandon the mission. Abandon the mission. Save yourself. Abandon the mission. And what's Peter say? Abandon the mission. We've got a better mission here. The mission is to rid our, our nation of the cruelty of Rome. It's a better mission than yours, Jesus. And some of us, we have our own little mission. And we want Jesus to get in line behind us. And we want him to really give us what we really, really want. Very, very interesting. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, what does Jesus say to Satan? He says this. He says a lot of things, but he says this. And this is what you have to understand at this point in the book of Matthew. Because when Jesus addresses Satan, what does he say to Satan? He says this. Get away from me, Satan. Get away. But when he speaks to Peter, what does he say? Get behind me. Follow me. Follow me. Now, some of you may say, well, wait a second. Where's the follow me? Get behind me. Where's the follow me? Well, it flows. See, everything is setting you up for this. Jesus tells, he tells Peter, get behind me. And then Jesus, addressing his disciples, says, whoever wants to be my disciple. A disciple is a follower. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. You have to deny the, that shadow mission. You've got to deny the shadow mission. You've got to deny the... Sh- you can't follow Jesus and cling to your shadow mission. It's impossible to follow Jesus and cling to your shadow mission. Get behind me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. Galatians 2.20 says this, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Crucifixion. 
purpose of following Jesus. Denying the shadow mission of, of self to embrace the mission of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And then Jesus says these words. He says, uh, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Hmm. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Jesus is coming again. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory. It will be glorious. It will be. It will be more glorious than anything you have ever seen ever in your life. It will be absolutely awesome. Maybe a little bit terrifying, but it is going to be fantastic. You ever see a little kid, you take them to a fireworks display, and they've never been to one before? Their eyes get real big as they watch, and they see all these, these fireworks going off in the sky. I'm perfectly content to stay at home on the 4th of July. I, I, I'm just not amazed by them anymore. But when Jesus comes, it will be absolutely awesome. He's coming again to his Father's glory. And he's coming with his angels. And he will reward each person according to what they have done. Interesting phrase. Interesting phrase. There's only really a couple of points that you really have to get here. And you, you, you really must not miss this. And, and two really simple points. And the first point is simply this. Is there is uh, a great cost of following Jesus. It is. There's a great cost in following Jesus. There is a great cost in following Jesus. You know what it is? You have to give up your shadow mission. You have to give up your shadow mission. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. And you have to follow Jesus. There is a great cost in following Jesus. But the other part of this is this. There's a great cost in not following Jesus. People, there's a great cost. In fact, I would say the cost in not following Jesus is greater than the cost in following Jesus. There is a great cost in following Jesus, but the cost of not following Jesus is greater. Where do I see that in the text? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? Everything you could ever want. Forfeit your soul. See, the cost, the, the cost of following Jesus, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I was reading yesterday about the, the, the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. I was reading about how for him following Jesus meant that he could not stay in, in England or in America during World War II. He said, how can I lead the church at the end of this war if I'm not willing to lead the church in Germany in the middle of it? And, and let me tell you, what, what the Nazis were doing within the church in 
in England or in Germany at that time was really, really bad. And so he went back and it cost him his life. Not just his life, the lives of several of his family members. It's pretty bad. See, the cost of discipleship, by the way, he wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship. Um, the cost of discipleship is great. It cost Dietrich Bonhoeffer his life. By the way, it's going to cost you your life too. There's no way you follow Jesus without it costing you your life. I'm sorry. I, I, I wish I could get around that and say, no, 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 you can have the best of all that this world has to offer and have Jesus too, but I can't say that. I can't. But you see, what Jesus says, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For some people, it means literal physical death. For others, it means we're dying to our shadow mission every day. It means we're dying to our shadow mission every minute of every day. You know, if you kill me quick, I can say yes to Jesus. You kill me slow, that's harder sometimes. Yeah, there's a great cost in following Jesus, but the cost of not following Jesus is greater. But there's a second point here, is the cost of following Jesus is great. But the reward of following Jesus is greater. Yeah, there's a great cost in following Jesus. There is. Get it serious. But the reward of following Jesus is greater. And I think that's what we're seeing in verse 27. For the Son of Man is coming in his Father's glory with his angels. Think of it like this. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie where there's a group of soldiers and they're dying, fighting the enemy, and it looks hopeless and they're about to be overwhelmed. And then suddenly you see reinforcements coming in and they, they, they defeat the bad guys. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. You're in a battle. But Jesus is coming again. Or maybe think of it this way. Think of it this way. Jesus is coming again, and he's coming to reward you as you follow Jesus. Jesus is coming again, and he's coming to reward you for following Jesus. What does that look like? Well, I'm pretty sure that the poorest person in heaven will be richer than the richest person on earth. I'm pretty sure that the saddest person in heaven, if we could say it that way, let's say the least happy, okay? The least happy person in heaven will be far happier than the happiest person on this planet. He'll be happier than my wife, my mom. See, that, that, that um, there's a great reward. There's a great reward in following Jesus. See, Jesus is coming again in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward you according to what you've done. This is how I want you to think of it, and then we'll close in prayer. Um, but this is how I want you to think about it. You know, we've changed the story a couple of times, that whole, you know, 
winning the lotto, vacation, all that kind of good stuff. Let me change the story one more time. You know, brought an angel into it, all that kind of good stuff. Because the angels are going to come with Jesus, all right? That's why I'm using an angel this morning. Let's pretend for a moment, tonight you go to sleep. An angel comes to you and says, Gary, or whoever you are, I have good news. I have better news. And then I have even better news than that. First, the good news. Tomorrow, you're going to win $140 billion. And on Tuesday, this is the better news. On Tuesday, you're going to give every single penny of it away. You're not going to tithe it. You're going to give every single penny of it away. You're not going to, you're not going to give away 90% and keep 10%. I, I, I could live on $14 billion. No, no, no. The angel says, no, th- this news is better than living on $14 billion because what you're going to do is you're going to give away every single penny of it. And you're going to give it away to show 7 billion people the love of God. $140 billion invested in 7 billion people, showing those people that they matter to God by showing them that they matter to you and sharing with people the love of God, the grace of God that's in the person of Jesus. See, on Monday, you're going to be the richest man in the world. On Tuesday, you're going to be even richer than that. Because you're not going to be living your shadow mission. You're going to be living the mission of Jesus You're going to be denying self, taking up your cross, following Jesus, and it's going to be better than any sum of money you could ever own. I've got good news. You're winning $140 billion. I've got better news. You're giving every single penny of it away. And I've got news even better than that. On Wednesday, Jesus is coming again with the glory of his of the Father, and with his angels. And when you live and when you think about living for the glory of Christ's return, it changes everything. What I asked you at the beginning of this message is I asked you if you won the lottery, what would be one of the first things you would do with it? And then I also asked the question, how would it change your life? I heard one person talk about changing their life. It was Kathy. She said, it really wouldn't change my life that much. I think it's because I think Kathy, I'm sorry, Kathy, uh, but I I feel like you've captured this, is that money isn't going to change your life. Something better than money will. Or I should say, something better than money already has. See, um, Living for the glorious return of Jesus. That's what's going to change your life. That's the gospel. That's where Jesus is exalted. Let's pray. Father, you are great and awesome. You are uh, you are always faithful. You are good. You are gracious. You are merciful. And Lord Jesus, you are coming again. You are coming in the Father's glory. And you're coming with your angels. You are holy. 
God, what we pray is your kingdom. We pray your kingdom come. We want we want to live every day anxiously awaiting for your return. Living not for a shadow mission, but living for the re- your return. When your righteousness will reign throughout this planet, throughout this universe. God, that's what we want to live for. God, if there's anyone here today, maybe they're wrestling, they're wrestling with a shadow mission. They don't want to let it go. I pray that you would give them a glimpse of who you are and how you're wanting to work in their life and how you're wanting to work through their life. God, I pray for all of us who, and we all have our own little versions of a shadow mission. Help us, God, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, follow Jesus. We pray this for the honor and the glory of your name. Yeah.